Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are in this series, as you can see here, Small Town Big Plans, right? And we're going through the book of Titus. And it's a pretty short book, as we've talked about. It's a, it's a pretty brief letter from Paul to uh, his disciple Titus. And, and in this uh, book, one of the things we're being reminded of is the power of the Holy Spirit coupled with the gospel, the good news, to really transform a place, uh, even a place as rough as Crete. Um, if you missed any of the first couple messages and you don't know a lot about Titus or you don't know a lot about Crete and what was going on there, I would encourage you to go back and jump online. In your notes, there's the details about where to find uh, past sermons if you missed one. Um, but one of the things that I love about this is it's helping us be reminded about um, something I think Paul was maybe the, the ultimate character for in the New Testament, like this belief that with the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and, the, and coupled with the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that any place could be changed, that any place could be transformed. And I think Paul really is like the ultimate optimist. You, you would have to be to go through what he went through to, to keep pushing ahead. Like I think Paul actually looked at maps and dreamed up all the places he could go and imagined what it would look like. And as he's looking at a map, he doesn't look at a map and see obstacles, right? He doesn't see like, you know, he's looking over this and you see all these different places that he traveled. It's like Paul, I don't think, looked at these maps and saw all the ways why it would be hard to get somewhere or how expensive it would be or how difficult it would be or what about all the places and things that they worship in these other places. I think Paul actually had a pretty unique filter as a a very big optimist. When he would look at a map, I think to Paul, it actually looked a little bit more like this, full of opportunity. I think everywhere Paul looked, all he saw was opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. And, And it was like, if there was a place that he could imagine getting to, all he could imagine is that's a place that I could share the gospel that's a place where I could bring the good news of Jesus. And likewise, not only with places and maps, but I think he had that same filter for people. And so when other people might look at uh, different people and see that there are people that are different and see that there are light-skinned people from the Far East or really dark-skinned people from distant lands or people with slanted eyes or red hair or freckles or really white skin, like I don't think Paul or many of the early church leaders saw people the way so many of us see people. I think Paul would look at the diversity of people and simply see opportunity. Because everywhere there's a person, everywhere there's a heartbeat, there's an opportunity for someone to hear the gospel, to be transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And I I just love the enthusiasm and the optimism of Paul. And, and what I like about this letter to Titus is it's like we get this glimpse of Paul trying to pass on some of that enthusiasm and optimism to Titus. Yes, Crete is a tough place. He's giving them this really amazing assignment. And I think Paul might have looked at it a little bit more like, this isn't going to be really hard. This is actually going to be a really amazing opportunity. Like, you get to traverse 3,000 square miles of the most rugged terrain on earth 
surrounded by beautiful you know, ocean seas, and, and, and you're going to go from place to place to, see, to uh, search out pockets of believers that are these local churches, these local gatherings and assemblies. And, and when you get there, you get to be a, a voice of reason, a voice of influence. You get to help put things in order. Like you get to bring peace into some of their chaos. And you get to uh, be a part of identifying the right kind of godly men to be local elders and leaders and overseers and, uh, of these local bodies of believers. And, and it's kind of, uh, kind of a cool thing to watch how Paul tries to pass on that sort of optimistic enthusiasm that like wherever there's a place on a map, wherever there are people standing, I can't help but feel there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for somebody to be changed by Christ. And the thing about Paul is his special filter that he, uh, that I think helped him see a map that way or helped him see people that way. His special filter really was his life experience because Paul knew, like, he knew who he was before Christ and he knew what happened when Jesus encountered him. And when he met Christ, he was on mission against Christ. And he understood that, that his encounter with Jesus not only changed the way he thought, but it radically, wholeheartedly, 100% changed the way he acted. It changed his whole life. And, and I think Paul was able to look with such optimism over the lay of any land because it, he was like, there's not a place on a map, there's not a person of any kind that can't be reached and transformed by the power of the gospel because I know me. And if it worked for me, I don't know anybody that was in worse shape than I was in. I don't know anybody that was more opposed to the gospel than I was. And so he has a pretty unique filter, I think. And I, I think it's awesome to see how he's trying to transfer and translate that uh, kind of enthusiasm and optimism in a, di- in a really difficult assignment off to his disciple, Titus. Um, one thing I would say is at this point in the series, you could be sort of assuming that that um, all of this work that's to be done, to, to go and search out these local bodies of believers, to put things in order, to establish elders, and, and to make churches actually functional, healthy churches, like you could sort of assume all of the weight in order to pull this off is going to fall on uh, just a small portion of people, like the Pauls and Tituses, kind of the like key missionaries, leaders, church planners, and then maybe locally a couple of elders, and you could sort of feel like, man, that's a lot of responsibility for just a few people, really, in the grand scheme of things. And if you're thinking that, I just want you to know uh, you'd actually be wrong. You'd actually be wrong because God has in mind a couple of really key roles in addition to missionaries and pioneers and church planters and leaders and local elders and overseers of a church. Beyond that, God has a couple of roles in mind that are critical if the church was going to succeed on Crete. They're still critical if the church is going to be successful here in the world that we're living in today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the letter that Paul wrote to Titus. We're looking at chapter two. It'll be in your notes and then it'll be up here on the screen as well. But chapter two, verse one starts off like this. He says, as you, Titus, promote... um, 
As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. The NIV translates it, um, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. In other words, just trying to say it really simple, straight up. Like Paul is saying, Titus, you must teach the believers in each of these churches to live in a way that's totally in sync with God's word. That's what this is all about. He's like, your job is to go to these places, help them put things in order, find the right kind of local leaders, and then you teach them how to live their life in a way that's totally in sync with God's word. And again, that sounds great and it sounds awesome, but it also sounds like a bit of a job for one guy to go town to town to town. Like, I don't know if y'all know this or not, it's actually really hard to get people to do what you want them to do. Right? You're all giggling because you know. It's hard. And so here's Titus with this really tough, tough challenge, like to go and really get people to try and live a way that's in sync with God. Like that's a, quite a challenge. Now here's the thing. I want us to recognize that, that Paul and God leading Paul knew that there were a couple of more roles that each person needed to take part in in order for this to actually work because there's no way that Titus alone was going to do what God had in mind for these churches to be healthy. There's no way that God had in mind that myself or a handful of elders are going to be able to transfer and, and, and help you be uh, the kind of church God wants us to be on our own. Like, it just isn't meant to be that way. Uh, And so just like on the church in Crete and all of these different pockets of believers, they were expected to be, be really embracing one of these other two roles. So are all of you today expected to really be embracing one of these two roles. And so I'm going to read the rest of this little chunk that Paul gives to Titus. And I want you to really be listening with the idea of um, where do you see God calling you? Like which of these roles, which of these kind of duties that he's mapping out, where do you fit? Which spot should you be in? And so it goes like this, uh, chapter two, verse two. Uh, He tells Titus, teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. And then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. So he's starting to get a picture. Like, yes, there's expectations for Titus. Yes, there's expectations that in order for this to work, a local church to work, yes, there's expectations that you need local elders overseeing and shepherding that local church. But each person in the church also has an expectation. 
to take on one of these two roles. Now, maybe you heard me read that and you're sort of like, okay, I kind of get what you mean, but it's not like really, really clear. I'm having a hard time figuring out what did you mean by those two roles. So I'm big on put the cookies on the bottom shelf, right? Like let's just make it super obvious. So let's go like this. Let's take a look at this. This is what God has always had in mind. He's always had these two critical roles in mind. They're going to be in your notes, but they'll be up here. Um, He's always had in mind the role of being a disciple, And Paul had in mind for Titus, tell people, you're going to be a disciple. And so one of the things I would say is that in our culture, in the world that we live in today, you do not encounter the word disciple often in your everyday life unless you're sitting in a church building, right? It just doesn't pop up on your radar. And so I think it's really important for us to attach some other words, uh, synonyms that are like the word disciple to help us have an accurate picture of what you what pops in your mind when you think about being a disciple. So an apprentice or a student or a mentee, like the person that's being mentored by someone. And so when you think about a disciple, think about being an apprentice to someone. You are committed to follow somebody around and learn from them. That's the idea of disciple. Uh, disciple maker, again, another thing that's not a real relevant term or picture in our everyday life. We don't automatically go, oh yeah, I know a disciple maker. It, probably none of you pop, have that pop in your mind. But a disciple maker, what you need to think of is like a teacher or a trainer or a mentor. And so I, I want you to be thinking about being a, a disciple a person that's learning, and I want you to be thinking about being a disciple maker, a, piece, a person that's doing the mentoring or the training, right? And so you're either in one of those roles or the other. Yes, sometimes in your life you're in both, by all means. But just for the sake of uh, clarity and simplicity for talking about it, I, I really want you to wrestle with, I think the same way Paul wanted Titus to take that letter and spell it out to everybody in every church he went to, hey, you need to be thinking about being in one of these roles. And and I don't know if you guys caught this or not, but he did something really unique. He said, like, older guys, you've got a job as disciple makers. Younger guys, you've got a job as disciples. Older women, you've got a job as disciple makers. Younger women, you've got a job as disciples. And, and, and I know this is sort of like getting a bit crazy in the world we're living in. Like I'm going to say something that's touch shocking. But when Paul used this uh, picture to say old guys, young guys, old women, young women, I don't know if you know this or not, but that was everybody. There's no other buddies except old guys, young guys, and old gals, and young gals, and the few in between, right? Like, that's the church. That's everybody. That's who Paul had in mind. Like, everybody is going to be in one of those two roles. Now, this idea of uh, mentoring or disciple-making and shepherding, investing in some other person to help them get to know who God is, to get to know who Jesus is, and learn how to not just know about him, but learn how to actually follow him, actually uh, walk out what they're learning. That idea is not a New Testament idea. It's not a Paul idea. It's not an apostle idea. They were 
carrying on teaching that had been around long before them. This has always been a part of God's design. If we go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, you'll see this. It says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up and tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and uh, on your gates. Like there's this idea that God has established early in his story with his people that, that to know who God is to know what his instructions for living are, and to wrestle with how to actually do what you learn, it's supposed to be learned in the context of your family. It's this idea that you're talking with your kids about it so much that they don't really know any other conversation because it's so integrated into every part of your daily life. As you get up, as you go to bed, when you're driving to school, when you're coming home from school, when you're making dinner, when you're cleaning up the dishes, when you're taking a shower, when you're getting them put to bed, like you're weaving all the way through that. Who is God? What does God's word say? How do we follow God's word? What does it mean? How do you do it? And it's just, it's an as you go style of passing on who God is and what it means to know and follow God so that generation after generation will continue to know God's word. And not just know God's word, but generation after generation will continue to know how to do God's word, to actually be a God follower, not just know about God, right? And Jesus comes along in the New Testament and he brings a new, much broader scope to this. So, so in Deuteronomy, there's this idea that it relates to the family, that passing on who God is and what God's like and how do you follow God revolves around the family unit. Jesus comes along and opens the gates way up to now it actually is a responsibility that we do this in community with everybody. It's a, it's a not even just a family thing. It's an everybody thing. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, he, there's a person that asks him, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And he replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says the entire law and command, uh, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, right? Jesus is highlighting that, that to know about who God is, it, it, it's supposed to be lived out in the context of relationship and community. He's trying to help anchor this idea that to fight against something that all people in all time are prone to. I like the idea of knowing that God's in control. I like the idea of knowing that God has forgiven me. I like the idea of doing it on my own with him. Because there's over there, there's people. And people are hard and messy and complicated. And I get my feelings hurt or they offend me or I have a short fuse or pick your reason, right? And, and, and Jesus is highlighting the fact that you can't separate really following God from also actually loving people. He's like they're inextricably combined to actually be a Christ follower, to be a Christian. You're challenged to wrestle with loving God and loving people. 
to be in community, to be applying what you're learning with other people. The thing is, is if we camp out in really studying and knowing and learning God's word exclusively, and it's a very education-based getting to know God, uh, what tends to happen is it tends to result in producing people oftentimes that are more like Pharisees, kind of legalistic rule lovers, right? they, they, They just try to follow God's word outside of relationship, and so it looks a lot like in the world we live in, we call those, and I'm sorry if this is your name, it's a bummer, uh, but we call them Karens in the world that we're living in right now, right? Like that's like a Karen for Jesus is, is like all knowledge, not a lot of relationship. On the flip side, if you're all relationship and you're, you're heavy in the love everybody, accept everybody, it's all good, but you don't know a lot about God's word, we tend to call those cults because they're built around a person that people and a group of people that are really in relationship and committed to each other, but they're not grounded in God's word. So like either way, one extreme or the other is not the ideal. The ideal is that we know God, we know God's word, and we're walking it out in the context of relationship. And this lines up with a lot of things that we know from scripture. There's a couple of passages that probably most people have heard or are real familiar with. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4.9 says that two people are better than one and they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other person can reach out for help or reach out and help. But if someone falls alone, they're in real trouble, right? That's a passage that's read at a lot of weddings. You know, it's like, you guys are going to be so much better together versus alone. You're so much stronger. And then Proverbs 27, 17 is another passage that's really familiar with people. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Or as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, depending on where you're reading it. And, and it's this idea that we're better together. That's really what you could sort of sum up both of those statements, is they're trying to paint a picture that, like, don't go it alone. There's actually danger in going alone. You could fall and not get up, right? You're better together. And the challenge with this is that I think a lot of people are familiar with that, those passages. A lot of people are familiar with that idea and even agree with the idea that you're better together. But there is a vast gap between believing that it's true, that you're better together, and then actually embracing it and living your life like a better together life. Because I know a lot of people who believe it and know God's word and believe that you're better together, but their life looks quite lonely. Their life looks quite uh, uh, solo by comparison. They don't have a lot of friendships. They particularly don't have a lot of deep friendships. They particularly don't have a lot of discipleship, like digging into God's word, spurring each other along, sharpening each other kind of relationships. And yet those same people would say, yeah, I definitely think being like doing life alone is not ideal. It's better to be together. But in practice, do people actually follow that? And I think a lot of times that's something that we can wrestle with. And I think one of the things that that Paul knew is that Titus was going to be facing a big challenge. He had a 
a tall order, an amazing opportunity, but a difficult challenge to go to this really difficult place with rough crowd, rough people, rough terrain, and to go to these local bodies of believers to try and put things in order, to establish elderships in them, to put people over them, and then to help them actually start to walk it out was going to require people to embrace the idea of being a disciple or being a disciple maker. Like, Some of the older guys were going to need to take some responsibility. Some of the younger guys were going to need to step up and be available and be teachable. Some of the older gals were going to need to take responsibility and be available. And some of the younger gals were going to need to rearrange their life to learn from someone that's been where they haven't been yet. And he was like, that is going to be part of what has to happen in these local churches. And I think it's the same thing that, that God reminds us as leaders of churches today is to remind our people that, that it's not about just coming to a place and hearing a message. It's not about just plugging into some stuff or being a part of a program. It's not about that. It's about like, you guys need to hear the same thing Paul wanted Titus to tell all of those churches. Like, to hear, it's so important. It's so important that you are embracing one of those roles. That you're really embracing being a disciple or being a disciple maker. And and here's the truth. I think a lot of people, when you think about this, uh, um, a lot of people get on the fence about it and they get um, nervous and they get their insecurities kind of stir up and there's a lot of fear involved, particularly with becoming a disciple, like actually searching out someone to invest in you and mentor you and walk with you because in your role, you're going to go from unknown, kind of the safety of anonymity, nobody knows what I don't know, nobody knows how Uh, much I don't know the Bible. Nobody knows how confused I am. Nobody knows how much I doubt. Nobody knows how much I really wonder if this stuff is actually true. And now I'm going to go step into somebody's bubble and they're going to start to know some of that stuff. And that's a bit scary. It's uncomfortable because it's like, I don't know if I'm ready for people to know the real, real stuff. And I, I just want you to know it's time. I want, if that's where you're at and that sort of resonates with you and sort of in your insides, you're getting butterflies and you get a little bit of a sick stomach thinking about it right now, then please know I'm talking to you and I'm telling you and I'm encouraging you to step out, to push past the fear because what's on the other side is so much better than where you're at. It's so much better to do Christianity together to sync up with somebody, to help build your life around being lined up with God's word. And and something can happen when you do it with people and you have an intentional disciple maker and you have someone mentoring you that you can never accomplish on your own no matter how committed you are to Christ. And so I would just say, today's the day. Like push past that. Push past those fears. Other people, it's, it, it's less about fear and it's more about pride and ego. It's like you've sort of created a little bit of a story about yourself that the way people know you is that you're a church guy or you're a church gal. And people, people sort of think of you as a person that knows some stuff. 
And, and your pride and your ego is protecting you from getting into a real relationship with a real disciple maker. Because if you're going to get in there and get real, what they might find out is you don't know as much as you've sort of let on. And that might be a little humbling to have to kind of go, yeah, I never really understood that either. And there's power in being humbled and being humble, and being teachable, and being uh, uh, able and willing to be transparent and be vulnerable. And so I would say, if you're on the fence about being a disciple, today's the day. I would also say that some of you, uh, particularly those that have been a Christian for a while, need to really be thinking about being a disciple maker. Maybe you've made disciples in the past. You've invested in someone, mentored them, really purposely helped them walk in their relationship with the Lord and grow in their walk with the Lord. But maybe for whatever reason, like, uh, hello, COVID has been a little bit of a relationship killer. I don't know if you know that, right? It's been made it a little bit of a challenge to not only be in proximity and spend time over the last couple of years with people, but it's also created all sorts of weird divisions where someone you used to be able to be easy friends with now doesn't like you because you don't want to wear a mask or you do want to wear a mask. It's been a bit of a relationship killer. And so I'm just here to say that like our church, just like Paul told Titus about the churches in Crete, our church needs you to be a disciple maker. If you've been a Christian for like four or five years and you've been walking with the Lord and you know Jesus and you've got some decent habits, you're praying, you're reading your Bible, like you're, you, you know what it means to follow the Lord. I'm not saying you're perfect at it by any means, but you've got a grip on it and you've got a grip and some conviction that Jesus is real and you're in, then it's time for you to lean out and open up and hang out the I'm open for business shingle and say, I'm ready to take on a disciple. I'm ready for somebody to step up and knock on my door and say, hey, will you mentor me? Will you help me learn how to follow Jesus? And for a lot of you that are in those shoes that are like, you've got the seasoning, you've got the street cred, you've been at it for a while, you're, you're able to make a disciple. There's all this normal fear stuff that happens about why you're not doing it. And, and a lot of it has to do with how much time you have available and, and how much energy you have available. And I'm just telling you, if you've been a Christian for a few years, if you've been a Christian for a few years and, and you're not actively pursuing investing in someone else, I promise you there are things you're doing in your life right now that are less important than that. And it's time to adjust some priorities and to rearrange things in your life to make it a priority of the utmost importance that you're investing in someone else to help them learn how to find Jesus, learn how to follow Jesus, learn how to learn what God's word teaches and walk it out is so important. Now, whenever I talk about this, what always comes up is a good old yeah, but, right? You get a yeah, but. And the yeah, but is always to do with, uh, yeah, but nobody ever discipled me. So you're expecting me to go and make disciples, like go do it with somebody else, but nobody ever did it with me. And, and I just want to tell you that if that's kind of what's the yeah, but that's going in your mind, and you're like, here's my reason why I'm not doing it. Number one, I just want you to know I think you're selling yourself way short. I actually think you are so much smarter than you're giving yourself credit for. I really think your figure it outness is pretty strong. 
Secondly, I think you're forgetting something else that's really important. Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples. Like it wasn't a, a if you have time thing. It wasn't a if you feel like it thing. It's everybody that chooses to follow Jesus. We also get uh, lined up with that same instruction, go and make disciples. Now, what we forget is we get heavy on intimidation and fear and we forget the rest of what Jesus said. The rest of what he said is that I will be with you until the very end of the time. Like right down to the last minute, to the nitty gritty, Jesus says he'll go with you. And so as a believer, you've got God's spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit will comfort you and guide you and teach you and equip you and train you and give you the words to say when you don't know what to say. And so if you're sitting in the camp going like, I don't know if I'm ready to make disciples, I'm telling you, God is for you. God is with you. God will help you. When you don't know what to do, ask him. And he wants to hear from you and help you. So we're going to kind of finish up uh, before the worship team comes back up. Um, You'll notice a couple of things. In your uh, bulletin, when you came in, you got a little booklet thing handed to you. And I just wanted to make sure that we put something really tangible in everybody's hands to help give you a, a better picture of what does it mean to be a disciple or be a disciple maker. Because it is imperative for the future of our church that all of you are learning and growing in like, am I supposed to be being discipled right now? Do I need to find somebody to mentor me? Or do I need to be mentoring or discipling someone else? Like I I need all of you to actually really grow in your understanding of this. And so that little booklet there is designed to help give you some uh, just clarity about that. And then one of the things I want you to do right now is I want you to grab your connection cards that we always talk about every week, the little with the blue stuff, skinny little connection card. I want you to grab those and flip them over. On the back of it, you're going to notice there's a couple stickers on there today. I'm, like I said, I'm big on putting the cookies on the bottom shelf and making it easy. And so on that card, there's a spot for you to say, to indicate, like, I want to be a disciple, to just declare it. Like, I want to be a disciple. And there's also a spot on there that you can say, I want to find someone to disciple. And so my my heart and my goal would be that each and every person here would embrace one of those roles. And then in a minute, when the worship band starts, make sure you've got your name and your info and stuff on it, but we're actually going to pass some buckets around and collect them. And here's why. Uh, I just want to take away every obstacle between you and and actually following through on this, because this is so important. This is game-changing, life-changing decision territory for you. And the truth is, from your seat to those brown boxes, two-thirds of you will forget somehow. You'll have good intentions and be holding it, and then tomorrow you're like, oh, that's on my dash. How did that end up here? I forgot about that. And then it's gone, and the opportunity's lost. Others of you are just wrestling with fear and wrestling with discomfort. And it's like, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to be a disciple? Do I really want to step up and say that I will disciple somebody else? Like, I'm kind of nervous about that. And, and the nerves between here and that box, your knees are going to shake so much, you'll drop your card. And so I just want to make it easy and remove every obstacle between you and the next right move in your life. And so as we get up to finish this morning, let's worship 
And as those buckets come around, just help us spread them around. Make sure everybody gets one. We'll throw some buckets in different spots in the room and just drop your cards in those buckets. And we want to help connect you with someone to disciple. We want to help connect you with someone that will disciple you because it's the utmost importance to us as a church. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.